Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and from our ascended and ever-reigning Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. First, do no harm. You may have heard that phrase before. It's a phrase that is meant to help doctors keep perspective. After all, they aren't just scientists gathering information about the human body. Doctors are people helping other people to get healthy. To accomplish this goal, it makes sense to take a measured, careful approach. Don't jump into surgery or experimental treatments unless it's absolutely necessary. Instead, doctors are to think, what might we do that could help this person that doesn't have a large chance of damaging their health? First, do no harm. Well, Jesus tells us that there is another principle that guides us in spiritual matters. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And I think it helps us to understand what this phrase means if we, if we expand it a bit based on passages that we're going to read. We might say, God desires mercy, that is, love and compassion and grace, not just temple sacrifices offered according to ceremonial regulations. We read our sermon text from Matthew 12, verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick heads of grain and eat them. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, what your disciples are doing is unlawful on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered God's house and ate the bread of the presence which was lawful only for the priests to eat and not for him or his companions. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath days the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? But I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Yet if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. These are the words. May the Holy Spirit bless our study of them. Amen. God desires mercy. That is love, compassion, grace. Not just sacrifice. This isn't the only time that Jesus quoted this phrase to the Pharisees. There was another time. A time when Jesus had sat down to eat dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes, and the Pharisees had come along and seen that, and they criticized him. And so Jesus shot back, The healthy do not need a physician, but the sick do. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. 
In fact, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's from Matthew 9. Imagine a mechanic, a mechanic who says, the most important thing to do is to keep your tools organized. That's why I don't use them anymore. That way they stay organized. That mechanic has lost his way. Tools are for fixing things. That's their purpose. Organization is fine, but the main point of tools is to fix things. The Pharisees kind of thought like that. That's better just to stay away from open sinners and unbelievers. That way we won't get dirty. But how were those people supposed to learn about God and the forgiveness that he had provided for them through his son if nobody ever, ever spent time with them to tell them about their Savior? God desires mercy, love, compassion, grace, not just temple sacrifices. When Jesus said those words, he was quoting the Old Testament prophet Hosea. Listen to Hosea's words from chapter 6 of that book. What am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What am I going to do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that vanishes. That is why I have used the prophets to cut them down. I have killed them with the words from my mouth. My judgment strikes like lightning. For I desire faithful love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God wants our heart and our soul, not just our attendance. True religion is about everyday life, not just temple stuff. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told the people that were listening there, he said, so if you're about to offer your gift at the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come offer your gift. That's from Matthew 5. Jesus' example here, his example of true religion, has a man putting his offering down on the ground at the temple and then walking the miles, which might have been quite a few of them, to go back home because he remembered, I've sinned against somebody and I haven't taken care of that with them yet. First, I'm going to go make things right with them, and then I'm going to bring my offering. You see, what we do here in this building is only a small part of a life that is meant to be lived in worship to the God who redeemed us. God desires mercy over sacrifice. Love lived out in our lives rather than ceremonial sacrifices offered later on. 
He wants to pour out His grace on us, forgiving our sins because Jesus died in our place. And He wants to pour out that same grace and mercy on other people through the message that we share with them, the message of sins forgiven through Jesus. I desire mercy, not sacrifice means that God wants us to be a people that are fixated on the gospel message, not just preoccupied with laws and legalism. Okay, so let's take a look at what happened in that grain field that led up to Jesus saying these words. Look at verse 1 again. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick heads of grain and eat them. Back then, it was perfectly legal to walk through someone's field or someone's vineyard. Just about everybody got from point A to point B by walking, and so it made sense that you'd take the shortest route, and that might be through someone's field or someone's vineyard. And that was fine. And God's law for the Jews even said that it was okay as you made your way through the vineyard to pick some of the grapes that were there and to eat them. Or if you were going through a wheat field, you could grab some of the kernels and you could eat those. You couldn't take a sickle and start harvesting your neighbor's food. You couldn't take some of those grapes and put them in your basket and take them home. But you could eat some on the way through. These were God's laws for Israel. And they showed a very simple, thoughtful concern for people. What was important to God was people. He'd take care of the landowner and the, and the farmers and the vine dressers, yes. But he wanted people to be fed when they were hungry and when there was food available. But the Pharisees came along, and they added their own laws to God's laws. They said, we'll, we'll make God's law clearer by making some of our own. Let's see, he doesn't want us to work on the Sabbath, so we'll use some extra laws to define what work is, so that everyone knows what you can do on the Sabbath and what you can't do. And maybe that sounds reasonable. But in their judgment, the picking of grain to eat on your way through a field on the Sabbath was not okay. On a regular day of the week, sure, but on the Sabbath, no, then, then that was wrong. That was work. It was harvesting or maybe threshing as you rolled the grain in your hands to get the kernels out. That was sin. When the Pharisees made these extra laws, they perhaps thought that they were protecting God's law by putting a hedge of their own around that law so no one would break it. But sometimes their laws actually prevented the people from doing what God wanted them to do. And in this particular case, the Pharisees, because of their laws, accused people who were innocent of sin. That's not what the law is supposed to do. You know, sometimes we have to make 
rules to run a school or a church or a home. But man, we got to learn from the Pharisees, don't we? That making rules, more and more rules, is not the solution to everything. I mean, isn't, isn't that what our nation does? Or maybe it's just sinful nature. That whenever some disaster happens in our country, we, we do a couple of things. First, we say, whose fault is this? And then secondly, we say, how could this have been prevented? And so often the solution that we come up with is more laws, more rules, more regulations. That will make everything better. But more and more laws don't make everything better. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the laws... More and more laws, they stir up our sinful nature because our sinful nature doesn't like to be told what to do. When Adam and Eve sinned and brought death and suffering into the world, God didn't turn and say, oh no, they've sinned, but I know what to do. I'll make a bunch of laws and that will save them. That's not the gospel. Our salvation from sin wasn't accomplished by the making of more and more laws. No amount of laws can change the sinner's heart. No amount of laws can cover our sinful past. No, we need more than laws if our sins are going to be washed away. We need mercy. We need a love that reaches down from heaven to rescue us. God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And in mercy, he reaches down and he rescues us. He did this when he provided Jesus, his perfect and sinless son, to die on that cross, to suffer that hell for us so that our sins are gone. He provided the sacrifice that we never could. And after saving us, then God goes about the work of molding us into a people that are focused on the gift that saves rather than, rather than on the laws that condemn. Before we move on, I want to make it 100% clear that the disciples were not sinning by eating grain in someone's field. They were not sinning by picking handfuls of grain on the Sabbath day. Jesus tells us that they were innocent. But let's see how he defends his disciples. Look at verse 3 again. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered God's house and ate the bread of the presence which was lawful only for the priests to eat, not for him or his companions. In the Old Testament, there was a time when David and his men were hungry. They weren't starving to death. They just didn't have some food. They needed some food on their journey. And so David asked a priest to give them whatever food he had on hand. 
And so the priest gave David the special bread that they set in the temple every day and then removed and put new bread there every day. God's law said that that bread was supposed to be eaten only by the priests and only in a holy place. So why was it okay for David and his men to eat it? Well, behind every law, there's a purpose. Usually laws exist to protect people or to make things run smoothly. The purpose behind one law might be more important than the purpose behind another law. And so if we ever have, a, have something happen where it seems like two laws are conflicting, it's like, well, I'm supposed to do this, but how do I do that if I'm going to be keeping this law also? Then we need to, to look behind the law and see what the purpose is. And then we'll be able to see which one is the one we should be following first. The example that always comes to my mind is a speed limit. Speed limit exists to keep people safe, right? But if your friend is having a heart attack and they need to be rushed to the hospital, you might need to break the speed limit to save their life. So you can break the law meant to keep people safe to keep your friend alive. When it comes to David and his men eating the consecrated bread, I think it comes down to a pretty simple concept. God loves the people that he has made, and he wants them to be taken care of. This bread was normally intended for the priests to provide for them. But in this case, it was God-pleasing for these other men to be fed. The priests would still have enough. They could bake more. They weren't on a journey like David and his men. Jesus' argument is from the greater to the lesser. If it was okay for David and his men to eat the special bread from the temple so that they didn't go hungry, well, then it was certainly okay for the disciples to pick a few kernels of grain in the field as they moved through it during the Sabbath. And there's an important lesson here for us to take away. It's that one that I've mentioned already, that there's a purpose behind each law. And when things get confusing, when it comes to laws, we, we need to look behind each one to find that purpose and then order our priorities in line so that we can decide what's the best thing to do. But Jesus didn't just mention David and his men. He also mentioned the priests in the temple. Look at verse 5 again. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath day the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Essentially, Jesus tells them, he says, have you guys ever noticed that the priests on the Sabbath day are doing a whole lot of work? They're sacrificing animals, they're cleaning things up, they're moving things around. They're breaking the Sabbath every Sabbath. And yet God's word says that they are innocent. So, obviously, there are some legitimate exceptions when it comes to the Sabbath laws. The trick is to make sure that 
we're not manufacturing exceptions to serve ourselves. No, any legitimate exception to God's law will be done in order to accomplish His will. Lastly, Jesus directs the Pharisees to understand just who they're talking to. Look again at verse 6 and 8. But I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where you put your foot firmly in your mouth? You embarrassed yourself pretty badly by the things you said? Usually, or at least sometimes, that happens to me in this way where I'm talking to somebody about something that I'm not an expert on. You know, maybe I read an article on the internet about it or something. Maybe heart surgery. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. This is what I read. And then I find out that this person that I just met is a professional heart surgeon. And then I feel like I probably have embarrassed myself. How much did I get right, sir? Can you tell me? Well, that's what the Pharisees did when they were talking to Jesus. Here, they were telling him all about the Sabbath day and what was permitted and what was not permitted on that special day. Here, Jesus, listen to what we have read. We will instruct you about the Sabbath day. Listen. Meanwhile, Jesus is thinking, you do realize who I am, right? I'm the one that the whole Old Testament is about. The temple was established to point sinners to the sacrifice that I would be for them, a sacrifice that takes away sin. The Sabbath was established to point people to the rest and the peace that I would provide for them, the rest of forgiveness and the eternal peace of heaven with God. You want to tell me about the Sabbath and the temple and what they're all about? You're looking at it. It's all about me. Listen to Jesus' actual words to the Pharisees in John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. They testify about me. And yet you do not want to come to me in order to have life. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath because it is in truth all about him. And after his crucifixion and his resurrection from the dead was accomplished, after the sins of the world had been paid for, the Old Testament way of temple worship and the Sabbath day itself and observing all of its regulations, those things faded away. God discontinued those things. They had existed before to point to the Savior, and after he accomplished his work of paying for the sins of the world, those previews faded away so that the one sacrifice that really counted would be on center stage, so that the one true way into eternal Sabbath rest would be in the spotlight.
above all, God desires mercy. He desires to pour his mercy on us through his son's cross. He desires to pour his mercy on others through our sharing of the gospel and also through the way that we interact with the people of the world. God desires mercy that is love, compassion, grace, more than any sacrifice we might put on an altar. But if we're not focused on mercy, then we will occupy our minds with things that matter less. If we're not focused on mercy, we may miss God's will for our lives, like the Pharisees did. They were so focused on laws, God's laws and their own laws, that when the promised Savior finally came along, they opposed him. In our reading for today, they were following along behind Jesus, not because they looked to him as master and Lord and Savior, but because they were waiting to find something they could point out and say, look, you did that wrong. That was wrong. It was bad. Let's not follow that pattern. Instead, let's focus on God's mercy. First, do no harm. That phrase guides the physician. God desires mercy and not sacrifice. That phrase guides the Christian. In life, we're going to have plenty of times when we wonder, what does God want me to do here in this situation or in that situation? And ultimately, we have the answer already. He wants mercy. He wants this person to know that their sins have been forgiven. He wants that person to know the same. He wants us to believe that fully, that our sins have been taken away in full by Jesus. So let's ask ourselves this question often. How can I focus on mercy instead of sacrifice? How can I put the gospel forward here or there? How do I lead with mercy? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, even in your words of correction to the Pharisees, you were preparing their hearts for your mercy, seeking to reveal their sin and their need of rescue. Teach us also to desire what God desires. Teach us to be agents of mercy, speaking law and gospel to our own hearts, to the hearts of our families, and to those around us. Amen.